Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball's back, and BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. And don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back-to-sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com as well as Bleach Report Preston Ellis. Today we are discussing hypothetical Lonzo Ball trades. To do it, we have Bird Rights contributor and family man, the man who always loves getting jammed, Mr. Jamile Dunn. <laughs> What's going on, man? Hello. Oh, nothing much, man. <laughs> that I'm sounds so killing. bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's an inside joke. You guys, and it's not what it sounds like, but... Uh... <laughs> But feeling good, feeling good. Happy to talk a little basketball. Glad we have some basketball to talk about. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, glad to have it back uh, after uh, I don't know a five month sabbatical, and of course, all the things that are going on uh, in the past week that we'll we'll cover in a bit. But first, uh, let's talk about the man with no patience for all capital letter text messages, Mr. Christopher <laughs> Christopher B. Connor. What's going on, man? I'm doing fine. I'm I'm happy that this time I was not threatened to join the podcast, and I was just offered. Um, you know, that's, that's a noble, uh, gift of, by you. Also, I'd also like to point out you threatened all of us to be on time. You know, you, you didn't do it in caps. How do we all beat you here? It's true, man. I, I, I love it. I had a good time at you guys' expense. Uh, finally, the man who has the privilege of editing my articles, Mr. Oliander Frankenfurter Cosell. What's up, Ollie? Just hit publish. you texted me to death yesterday when i was trying to edit your article but i had other things going on and yeah so that that stuck with me so let the audience know that you are a real hard ass all right great this is going really well well. (laughs) (laughs) you're doing great (laughs) all right talking about that piece uh, i wrote on lonzo ball trade offers uh you can read it on thebirdrights.com uh but i wanted to create a discussion because it's the off season what else do we have to do Jamal, do you give any credence to these reports from David Aldridge or Jay Williams? Do you think the Pelicans right now are actively shopping Lonzo Ball? Um, I would doubt it, right? And I would doubt it because, look, in any trade, whether it's sports trade or a negotiation for, you know, a house, a car, it's it's never really about what you're giving up. It's about what you can get, Right. I love my house. It's got everything I need. But if somebody came and offered me $2 million for it right now, I walk out and they can have everything in it too. Right. But so I don't think the return, especially coming off of kind of a rough bubble performance for Lonzo, I don't think the return is really going to be there 
for the Pelicans. So they may be listening. I, I don't doubt that they're listening uh, because I think their roster in terms of, you know, outside of some of the core guys like Zion and, and Brandon Ingram, the roster, everything else could be up in the air. So I wouldn't doubt that they're listening, but I don't think you're going to find anything that's so great that, that you're going to, you know, want to give up on, on the potential upside of Lonzo right now. Um, so I, I kind of, I kind of doubt that they're in any kind of serious discussions because they probably know the same thing that I know that they're not going to get that return. Now I could see him being a part of a, of a package with something else. And so maybe he's like, uh, the icing on the cake for someone, but I don't know right now that you're going to get the return that you'd be looking for. So I think they're probably looking at it and they're probably looking at it for a lot of players on the roster, but I doubt that that is very serious on Lonzo in my opinion. Yeah, and Chris, at the time this was reported, uh, I think 14, uh, 16 teams were were still in the bubble at the time in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, so that kind of narrows down to who these conversations uh, could be with. I, I can't imagine uh, general managers and opposing front offices that are focusing on the playoffs right now are shopping for Lonzo Ball. So pretty much it's just going to be teams in the lottery who are probably just offering the Pelicans the ability to move up in the draft for Lonzo Ball. Chris, do you give any credence to any of these reports? And and do you think that's that's all this boils down to is the Pelicans just moving up some spots? Uh, I mean, if, if if that's a route that you're going and trading Lonzo, who's who's about to be on a you know in a contract year, I could see you moving up some slots. But if we're talking strictly for for a player or a type of player return, like Jamal was saying, I don't I don't see this being a situation where um a team is actively looking and 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 stopping scouting other players that are that are in the bubble or working towards their their offseason plans to figure out how they can get Lonzo Ball when you know number one uh, you're not you know it's still a question mark in regards to what he, what you're fully going to get when the season starts and then even afterwards if I'm him I'm not signing an extension until I can prove myself or get back to the level that he was playing before the suspension of the season, uh, you know, and really try to try to make some big time money. I'll go ahead and start this with you, Jamal. Uh, just in terms of like why David Griffin would consider tra- uh, trading Lonzo Ball right now, what kind of reasoning do you think he'd have to even consider that? Well, if I'm building the case on why you trade him, look, Lonzo is a weird player, right? And so if you look at guys who are guys who are drafted as high as he was, he was number two pick in the year he came out, number two overall. Um, and when you get drafted that, that high, those guys are pretty much always looking for max or near max on their, you know, on their first extension. So, you know, even though he hasn't necessarily performed up to that level, he's probably, he thinks of himself in that way. And most importantly, what these players look at is what their peers are getting, right? So the guys who get drafted around him or guys who got drafted, you know, in that spot in the year, in the year that they were drafted. So he's going to watch Brandon Ingram get a, a max, a near max deal, which, which I think Ingram has earned. And he's going to think that he also, um, that he also deserves that, you know, and I'm not criticizing him for that, but that's just how players of his caliber think. Uh, but the problem with Lonzo is that, He's got the issue is he makes plays, some plays in the uh, that only maybe five to ten guys in the whole league can make. But then he's got other major deficiencies in his game 
free throw shooting comes to mind. You know, getting to the rim and finishing at the rim comes to mind. On the ball defense comes to mind, right? So major holes, and I feel like the good GMs never give a max deal to a guy who has major deficiencies. It's not to say that your max guy doesn't have some weaknesses in this game, but it can't be major deficiencies where we may have to take you off the floor in a play, late in a playoff game, right? Because they might just follow you because you can't shoot free throws. Um, so I compare Alonzo more to somebody like a Marcus Smart, right? Somebody picked high in the draft, um, not necessarily a franchise guy, but does do a lot of interesting and valuable things on the court, but not he's not a max player because he, he has major holes in his game, right? And so guys like that are in that, you know, 12 to $13 million range, which is, um, you know, what Smart got per year. Um, if Lonzo is looking for more than that, which I'm guessing he's going to be looking for more than that, significantly more than that, then that's the case for trading him. If you know right now we're not going to want to pay him that, I think that's the case for trading him. Now, I think the way that Griffin and, and Trajan Langdon will probably lean is to see if the chemistry between him and Zion is is as real as it appeared at times last year. And so the benefit will be more on the side of maybe playing it out and seeing if maybe he is worth the contract that he's going to ask for. Um, but in terms of why you, you would actually think about trading him, I think the contract ask is, is going to be the reason why. Now, before we get into specifics of what you think a contract should look like, Chris, I, I want to talk about the two Lonzo balls that we got this season. Uh, the final five games uh, leading up until the season suspension, Lonzo Ball was playing like a max player. He was doing 21 points, eight assists, eight rebounds, 2.1 steals, while shooting 52.4% uh, from three on eight and a half attempts per game. Now, uh, something I highlighted in the article was how well Lonzo played when, when he was playing with a top 10 defense. Now, when playing with a bottom five defense over the first 28 games, Lonzo's numbers were 10 points, five assists, four and a half rebounds, while shooting 33% from three-point range. So, Chris, let's talk about the two Lonzo balls. How much is he affected by how well the team is doing? And which Lonzo ball, the, the first 20 games or the next 36 games, do you think highlights who he really is? So, uh, to answer to answer your first question, I mean, I, I'd say that a big part of his success has to do with whether it's team success or just overall defense, because he's at his best and he started to get things going when, when the defense started to play better because it allows him to run the floor. It allows him to play in transition. It allows him to, while, while the defense is trying to get back and, and, and recover in the break, if Lonzo wasn't, wasn't throwing the ball uh, quarterback style to, you know, to Zion or someone, uh, you know, close to the rim, he was, rushing the ball down the court, pushing it, pushing the pace quickly. And we started to see him tip more of those layups, get, get to the free throw line right before the suspension when things, when he really started to get things going. But when the defense isn't playing well and you're constantly giving up baskets, well, that puts you in situations where you have to run a, more half-court sets. And in that offensive style that didn't have a bunch of, a bunch of organization and, and, and a high, it was more of a freelance style, it really doesn't fit. It doesn't fit Lonzo uh, if his jump shot isn't falling. He's, he, he's not set as he's currently built right now to have a lot of success in half-court offensive, 
style of basketball. It's just not it right now. Like Jamal was saying, he's not a guy that can uh, create for himself consistently while he's quick. I, you know, I have this thing with him in which I don't think he realizes he's as quick as he is. So sometimes he'll blow right past somebody and it's almost like, oh shit, I'm at the rim. I got to throw something up here. And, you know, you'll see the, you'll see the ball either, either a go high off the, off the backboard or it'll, um, it just will be a weird looking attempt from him. Uh, he has a lot of things to work on in that area. And I know Fred Vincent has done a lot, a lot with him, the in-between game, the floaters and stuff. Um, it's going to take him about another year or so to really to really get that part of his game together, which is another reason why, I mean, considering the guy's only 22 years old, depending on what you're paying him, I think he's, sh- you know, you should end up investing in trying to develop him. Cause I don't think he's as far away from um, if depending on how the next coach that you bring in as his team develops, I don't think he's that far away from being a very important contributing factor. And that leads into your second question. Um, I mean, look, I, I, we hadn't seen number one from Lonzo. We hadn't really seen him have that, that long of a healthy stretch. I don't think in his career. Um, And number two, that's the best basketball that he's played uh, in his career. So it's kind of hard to say whether or not it was just a, you know, a hot stretch of everything, of everything going him completely being rhythm or that's who he is. I'm not sure if he's that individual, but I bet considering the work ethic that he puts in and the things that the coaches and players have said around him, you've already seen videos of him out working with, with Trey young um, and a few other, a few other individuals. Um, You know, we, we often heard as much as we heard about Brandon Ingram working after practice, the guy that was normally right next to him was Lonzo ball. We've seen him experiment and take the advice of his coaches and Fred Vincent and trying new things throughout the year, whether it worked or not. Um, I think giving him a full offseason will allow him to get – I don't know if he'll be that exact guy averaging 20 points a game or close to that. I don't believe that that's him. I think you're more you, – you know, you're talking somewhere in between 13 to 15, which would be perfectly fine because the assists and the rebounds are going to come naturally for him. Um so I don't I don't think completely at that at that scorching hot level, but I do think eventually you're going to get that guy that's somewhere close, which will be a valuable contributor on this team going forward. Now, Jamal, uh, you mentioned, you know, if somebody offered you, you know, five billion dollars for your house, uh, regardless of what's in your house, you're probably going to take that deal. And so, too, it probably applies to the Pelicans. If if somebody makes a, a deal for, let's say, De'Aaron Fox, of course, you'd have to consider that uh, the guy's a, already an all NBA type caliber player. And I think he's just 21 or 22 years of age. But just in terms of what Lonzo's skill set is and how it fits with the Pelicans, I'd argue that it's the perfect fit. You've already got two uh, top 30 players in terms of usage with the Pelicans and Brandon Ingram and, and Zion. These are guys who look to score. You've got Drew Holiday, who's in the top 50. And Lonzo Ball doesn't need the ball to be successful. He sets up his teammates and he hits the three. And when he's doing that really, really well, he fits perfectly into, into this offense. In terms of like, if you were dealing Lonzo Ball, what what type of player would you look for? And would you look for one that kind of does already what Lonzo does? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, the Pelicans have a couple of, you know, areas where they could probably improve. So you're looking up front, maybe at center, depending on what happens with uh, Derek Favors. Of course, if you're trading Lonzo Ball, that creates a hole at point guard. So you'd obviously be looking at guards. And, and you know, they may even 
even be, you know, space for another wing. We, we've seen how the Pels have struggled to guard, you know, the, the, the top-notch wings, the Kawhi, you know, Leonard and LeBron, you know, James of the world. Um, they really struggled in that area. So that's another place that you could look. So I could see trading him for somebody. This might be a little surprising, but trading him for somebody like uh, Justice Winslow, right? Um, somebody who you were talking about, you know, he sets up his teammates and he hits threes. I mean, that's what Justice Winslow's whole deal is, except he's not an actual point guard because if Lonzo's playing that role, because you look in the regular season, what what Chris was saying is exactly right about the defense kind of setting up Lonzo's game. It's exactly right. But in the playoffs, the playoffs are one in the half court, right? It, it's just how it is, right? So eventually, and I'm not somebody who's like a a championship maximalist where I, where I feel like if you don't or if you aren't competing for the title all the time, that you're a failure. Like I, I think winning 50 plus games and being a team who's capable of getting out of the first round consistently, I think that's you know that's success in my eyes. Um, but to do that, you're going to have to be a little more flexible with your lead guard. Now the Pelicans could kind of work their way around it if they change their offense a little bit and maybe run it through Ingram exactly. as a half-court ball handler. And then Lonzo's perfect, right? Then he can spot up and hit that three efficiently, and, and he's always going to make a smart play with, with the ball in terms of getting it to, to other people. Uh, but in terms of what I'd be looking for if I were trading him, uh, I'd be looking either for a big, another point guard to replace him, or, or a wing, so I'd be looking at guys like Justice Winslow, um, like a Marcus Smart who's not going to get traded, um, or uh, or or maybe a big, you know, he could be included in a, in a deal with Indiana for one of their bigs, um, or maybe in a deal with the Nets. Uh, but then again, I, I forget they, they have Kyrie Irving, so I, I doubt they would want uh, Lonzo. But, um, you know, there's a few teams around the league who could use a guard like that. Um, but I would mainly, I mainly would be targeting guys like a Justice Winslow, who's pretty much in the same um, tier as Lonzo as being a highly drafted guy, really talented. Um, but people still aren't sure if he's ever going to hit that ceiling. Uh, and I think those are the types of players you're going to be looking at. Uh, great stuff. I, I want, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, so I, I actually want to add on to, two things that that uh well each of you said here so Preston you were you were mentioning um damn it I'm I'm losing my train of thought here um you were mentioning if if the Pelicans were to were to trade Lonzo what exactly would they be looking for right because you already have you already have what two two top 40 maybe maybe three top 40 players already but I look at it from like kind of where you were going there but, but but in a different manner right people your issue with Lonzo is that he doesn't really initiate the offense and he doesn't he doesn't penetrate and which most of the time you know you you would want your guard to be able to drive and kick but I I mean and some of that isn't isn't a hundred percent on on him um because I do think if you put a coach that is ordering more sets consistently offensively and what's the ball the ball is moving and it's not you know vanilla looking isolation 
picking roles consistently. You know, you're running more organized sets in which um, more guys are able are able to do more, and you know, things are a little bit more creative than what we've seen in years past. You can still make the best of his talents. Um, you have two guys already on your team who are really good at penetrating, who are really good in the isolation, and Brandon Ingram and Drew Holiday. You have a guy in Zion Williamson who can also get to the rim and, you know, uh, out of the post, whether he's facing up, is a guy who's going to isolate one side of the floor. I agree with you, Preston. I think Lonzo, if he's hitting his shots, is actually perfect for what you have right now. I mean, some guys don't have more than one one guard or one wing that can that can get to the rim consistently. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so uh, the fact that the Pelicans have two and then you have a post option, uh, that you can that, that you can isolate a floor against. I mean, what do you necessarily need Lonzo right now for one of his strengths to be to be uh, going to the rim? I don't necessarily think so. I, I think if he's more of a glue guy and a dude every now and then that can give you uh, 15 to 20 points like we saw when he was really good. Um, I think that that's perfectly fine. Um, whether or not he expands his game to becoming more of that Jason Kidd type type player. Uh, you know, we'll have to see, but I don't think it's necessarily needed. You know I mean? You're going to need, you're going to need more even kill guys like Lonzo. I think as he, as time progresses and time matures um, and considering he's only 22, I mean, this, I mean, am I the only one that thinks that by 25, he won't be better? Um, the price point is always going to be very important, but, but the thought that just because he's not a traditional guard, and maybe in this set or in this on this team, he's probably more of a shooting guard with with point guard tendencies. He doesn't fit long term. I just don't get because the team you have currently right now. I mean, if you look around the history of the league, we've seen a bunch of teams that that have had success over time with uh, with dynamic guards, dynamic wings, dynamic forwards, but point guards that necessarily weren't the best penetrators and were more spot up shooters and three and D type fellas. Um, I think you can succeed with Zoe. Um, the only argument I think that should be that should be presented at this point should be about that price point. But if we're talking about the player, we're trying to break him down based off his flaws. I mean, I, I think it's way too early and short sighted. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of, uh, you know, I, I think you can argue this was the best offensive season he's had in his in his career with the Pelicans. In terms of defensive, though, however, uh, he underperformed. And that's more uh, re- as it relates to the team than it is about him specifically. Just in terms of his personal defense, uh, according to B-Ball Index, he graded out in the 90th percentile in perimeter defense last year with the Lakers. With the Pelicans this year, he was 60, uh, 65th percent. Uh, so... Obviously, you can attribute that more to the Pelicans team defense than you might specifically attribute that to Lonzo Ball. So Lonzo Ball is going to play better when this team plays better. He's going to play better under a better coach. But I want to go away from that for a moment, um, Jamal, because like we keep reiterating, if you can get a great player, of course, you have to consider the deal. But just in terms of the human aspect of this, uh, you know, we know he's tight with Brandon Ingram. Everybody always cites those uh, two-a-day practices the two of them do together. We know that he's close to Zion. Uh, I have this quote that I use all the time back from February where Zion says, Lonzo went through a similar situation, so he knows what I'm going through, and he is giving great advice on how to handle it. And then Lonzo said uh, later in that same quote, Zion can come to me for anything. It doesn't have to be basketball related. I am always here for him. And obviously, you know, his play on the court is amazing. David Griffin talks about this family atmosphere, Jamile. 
if he trades Lonzo Ball, that kind of, uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, goes against what he's been saying all season long. How can David Griffin deal someone like Lonzo and and still promote this type of family atmosphere? Uh, I mean, this is the NBA. I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, all families have bad apples, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the NBA. Every team's going to have player movement, uh, so I don't think you ever have to justify, you know, why are you moving a guy? Now, you know, you do have a good point though that he could be breaking up something that. Um, could be special because, for the most part, there are some you know microwave teams that win in the NBA, like the Lakers, who just kind of shortcut to get to the top. But for most teams, there's a, a, a winning a winning culture they have to build, you know, before they can really take off, right? And part of that is the players on the team kind of buying into to each other and playing for each other as well as themselves. Um, so. You know, there, there, there is a good point there. And that's one of the things that only the front office and, and uh, you know, coaching staff and people who interacted with these players all year can really tell us. Uh, because the team who's resigning the guy always has the most information. So sometimes you'll see, we've seen teams give guys contracts we didn't necessarily think they were worth. Like, uh, for instance, Victor Oladipo. But we, at that time, hadn't seen Oladipo in practice and how much he was improving and working on his game. Um, but, you know, but his, but his own team did see that, right? So they were willing to invest that. So if that's what they're seeing internally, they're seeing him working on things, then they're seeing a, a culture that's being built, you know, with the rest of the core players on the team, um, then that is a deterrent from, 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 from moving off of Lonzo. But I don't think you have to really justify it if, if you do make a deal now. Here's the thing in the NBA and professional sports in general. Players will get over the fact that you move somebody, but you better have moved them for the right piece, right? If, if, if you move a player who uh, other guys, you know, are really affectionate with and think fit into what they're doing on the court and you bring in a piece that doesn't fit, that's where um, you start having, you know, guys look, um, you know, look at the front office in a certain way, um, and stop believing that that they're you know in it to win it. So that could be an issue, but I don't think you have to really you know explain why you make the move if you make the move for the right player. Um, so so that's kind of my opinion on on that. Yeah, and what you were saying, the chemistry within the locker room was really good, at least heading into the bubble. Uh, we're we're not really sure or aware of what happened after that point, but uh, multiple. Uh, different sources said that the chemistry within these these guys was was really good. They were a tight group. Now, Chris, I, I want to expel or expand upon a myth that we have as Pelicans fans, and that's that Lonzo Ball and Zion bring the absolute best out of each other and sort of need each other. Obviously, Lonzo needs a, a finisher around the rim to bring out his best attributes, and Zion needs somebody to get him the ball while we've seen him create a little. You know, we we we've seen that those tantalizing passes above the rim. Uh, he's got that shoulder shimmy action. He's got that uh, that spin move, and and Lonzo always seems to be able to hit him in stride right at the right point, uh, just above above the defender's fingertips. Now, I put this on Twitter. Um, Leading up to March 11th, their net rating together was 10th in the NBA. However, in the bubble, their net rating together was negative 19.6. That's per 100 possessions. So they were 19 and a half points worse than their opponents per 100 possessions. Expel or expand upon this myth, Chris. Lonzo and Zion need each other. 
I don't think they need each other. I think um, with the type of player, I mean, ironically, the type of player that they both are currently right now uh, at this point in their careers, they fit each other best. Um, Zion's best attribute right now is his ability to get to the rim, his touch, and um, you know his overall his overall quickness to get open suddenly. And there's no one, at least well on this team, and there's maybe a handful of guys in the league that can read those things quickly and get the ball there, um, you know, without showing his hand better than Zoe. And it's probably his best strength right now on the basketball floor. So I think they fit each other best right now, but as they continue to develop their games individually, that won't be the case. Um, I mean, I think if we, if we're focusing on highlights and when the team was playing really well, that may, that may be what seems to be the case, but you know, again, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily, uh, I don't think we want to, we want to get caught in that, in that trap based off of, uh, some of the great plays that they that they've put on display, um, but I mean, hell, I made a video about these two. I mean, I I love them overall overall together. Um, I guess my only my only thing going forward is that those two and you guys were mentioning it, like when when you watch them, even going back to training camp last year, and uh, you know whether not not media day, but the, uh, the open practice that they had, no one seemed to have that type of chemistry. They, they were the only two that I really watched on the floor to play together and say, okay, those two get each other right away. And it, it wasn't like they had a whole bunch of time to play, you know, to play with each other. I mean, Lonzo was hurt over the off season. Zion was, was recovering and had, and had his whole ordeal after, after coming from Duke and was a little bit out of shape. And then he had summer league, um, so they picked up on each other quickly. So I assume when you have that type of connection, it can only grow. But I think that you're kind of doing a disservice to what Zion will ultimately be if we're saying that he needs someone else. Um, but I would hope going forward that that's a connection there between the two that only continues to grow to where we, you know, to where we just say that they fit each other so well. And I think that that is the case. I think right now it does. And if Lonzo can continue to, to improve, especially in the in-between game, they should only get better. Now, Jamal, I, I want to dispel another popular myth that the Pelicans need a new coach to bring out the best in Zion Williamson. Now, offensively, uh, he's already pretty much unstoppable. Of course, he can clean up his handle, maybe add a jumper, work on his on navigating the pick and roll. Uh, defensively, he, he's got a lot to work on. But offensively, he's already in a really good spot. Uh, he's got plenty of time and room to develop. Uh, Fred Vincent's going to work with him. Uh, I, I think he's still under contract. Uh, they're they're kind of hopeful that they can keep most of the Pelicans staff at this point uh but just in terms of bringing a new coach uh jamal i'd argue that it's more important at least on the offensive side that you bring in somebody who can improve lonzo and build on his consistency in terms of bringing a new coach let's just talk about the offensive side of the floor what kind of guy are you looking for are you looking for somebody who can you know really improve the the play of the backcourt are you looking on somebody who can just like kind of narrowly focus on making zion the best player he can be yeah, I mean, asking if you need to bring a coach in to 
bring the best out of Zion is that is like asking, do you need to bring a coach in to make the best out of LeBron, you know, in his first couple of years? I mean, yeah, I, honestly, obviously, if there's a, a coach who's going to focus on a certain guy and, and, and accentuating his strengths, then that's going to help that player. But Zion is so good, if he can stay in shape, he's so <laughs> good that that he's going his talent is going to come through regardless and you know i'm really excited about some of the other aspects besides scoring that i've seen in this game specifically passing right i think and that's one of the things that i'm really excited about having both him and lonzo on the team because they're both ex i i, I feel like they're going to both be expert passers and having two guys on the floor at the same time um who think like that it can be really valuable and help you get a lot of easy buckets um, once you have kind of settled into to what your offense is going to be. Now, in terms of the type of, you know, coach or type of system that they bring in, I, I don't think it matters a ton, uh, but I do think because of all the miles that you have to feed on this team, you need to run something a little more up-tempo. It doesn't have to be the breakneck, you know, Gentry, D'Antoni, uh, you know, uh, pace, but, you know, a higher, a higher pace that will allow them to get out in the, in the, in, in the, on the fast break, because they've got so many athletic young players uh, who are good, you know, in transition um, and, 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 and making possessions, you know, short, so to speak. So, um, but honestly, you know, basketball, you can't really look at it as offensive, what's your offensive system and your defensive system. It's like, it's one thing. You know, so I honestly look at, and this kind of goes back to what Chris was talking about earlier about the defense being such a big factor in bringing out the strengths of Lonzo and, and other guys on the team. So I'm really looking more for uh, a coach who can come in and get, get them solidified on defense and actually get them to buy in because, you know, Gentry for all his strengths just never seemed to be able to get his teams to buy in defensively for any you know, long stretch of time. Uh, and ultimately, if you're going to win, that's what they're going to need. And for their offense to be at its best, they're going to need to be a good defensive team, which will bring out the strengths of Lonzo. Uh, because if you're getting turnovers, or not even turnovers, just getting stops, where, where you know, you've got some of these smart-headed players who leak out all the time, like Zion, like Josh Hart, um, like B.I. to a certain extent, um, that's going to help. Lonzo, who's always looking ahead. So these guys are not going to have an issue scoring, I don't think, ever. You know, as long as the, the roster is similar to what it is now, uh, they may not be perfect offensively, but they'll be able to score. But defensively is going to be the issue. And if they can fix their defensive issues, their offense will be unbelievable. Now, I, I want to get back into uh, some of our questions, uh, most of which are Lonzo related. But before we get into that, I, I want to expand on this on this coaching idea, not just how he can bring out the best in the Pelicans as a team, but also how he can bring out the best in Lonzo. And Chris, you wrote about Jerry Stackhouse. Why is he a good fit? Uh, in regards to Lonzo or just the team? Let's talk about Lonzo. So I think that one big aspect of coaching at any level is relatability and it really helps. I mean, I wouldn't even say in just in, just in coaching, but in, in any job that you have in any type of mentorship um, is relatability. Like I, I need somebody or it helps 
when someone can look at me and say, I, I empathize with your situation, I understand it, or I've been there. And, you know, while Jerry Stackhouse wasn't necessarily, um, you know, you know, we don't know how Lonzo Ball's career is going to end. Jerry Stackhouse had a really good NBA career, I would say. Um, but we got to remember that Stackhouse was supposed to be like a, like a bona fide superstar. He was supposed to be, he was compared to Michael Jordan coming out of college. Hell, when he walked into North Carolina, that's, that's, that was the expectation. And he had similar, he had similar, uh, similar skills on the basketball floor that people thought might develop into that type of player. Well, he never turned into Michael Jordan. Uh, And I'm more than sure that that comparison, it may have, weighed on him for a little bit even adding to the point where they played together in Washington at the end of Mike's career you know so um I think with Lonzo Ball having a a similar situation be compared to Magic Johnson and uh and Jason Kidd and others before he even got a chance to dribble a ball in a on an NBA arena you know it's something that Stackhouse can look at and say you know what man like I I see that I've been there I've I've done this I've done that but Outside of that, it's just overall development. Uh, I, what I like about Stackhouse is that everywhere that he's been, he's no matter what's been given to him, no matter what's been taken away, he's found a way to make things happen. He's done more with less than you know most coaches are able to do. And you know we um, we're used to this this long and just tiring expectation of that everything has to go right for the Pelicans to succeed. Anytime someone gets hurt, you know, we're like, oh, man, it's it's the end of the world. But we have examples all the time of coaches that are playing with uh, rosters that, you know, you might look up and down and wonder who are these guys. Well, they're succeeding because they they have a coach in front of them that they believe in. And they're, you know, that they are listening to their following orders that put together a good system that is getting the absolute best out of them. And I mean, that's one of the parts about being a good coach is just taking if, no matter who's suiting up, you're putting your team in the best situation to win. It doesn't have to be a full a full deck. You don't have to always have all all arms ready and prepared to to consistently win. Stackhouse has a has a track record dating back to his time with the Raptors, nine hundred five, their D League team. That uh, before he got there, Nick Nurse ended up winning a champion a championship with, um, and just overall development, Fred. Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam. These are guys that no one, nobody knew about three years ago when he was coaching them. Well, they're currently playing the Boston Celtics right now, and they are all very essential parts on a team that hosts to win a championship. They were all important parts of the team that won a championship last year. And look at what Fred Van Fleet has turned into. He's going to get paid this summer by, by somebody. Pascal got paid. Um, and he has a bunch of other individuals over time that uh, have – mentioned him as somebody who really helped him develop just by the way that he was able to, you know, to speak with them, talk with them. And the minute he walked in, they, it was a recognizable face uh, that some of them had watched and some of them can look up on YouTube and they can look at him and say, all right, he understands where, where I come from. So um, I think there's a bunch of things that we could point to with Stackhouse to say why he fits with Lonzo. But I think the first thing for me is just the, is just the draft status and the comparisons uh, and kind of alleviating that pressure off of off of Lonzo to just worry about being the best that he can be versus living up to an expectation. Oh God! 
Those are the screams I used to make when I'd cut myself shaving, you know where. But that was before Manscaped. Thanks, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Look, who here doesn't get nervous about grooming their man parts? And that's why Manscaped created the Lawnmower 3.0, beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. The Manscaped engineering team obsesses over technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your family jewels. So many people have written in stories about how the Lawnmower 3.0 has changed their lives. They even included pics so I could see the smoothness for myself. And they aren't kidding. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball's back, and BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. And don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back-to-sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Nice. Uh, you guys can check that out on thebirdrights.com. Uh, we've got some other articles as well. I know I wrote about Ty Lue, Sam Cassell, and I've got one on Mike D'Antoni, I think, going live tomorrow. Uh, let's continue with this. Uh, this is a great question from friend of the program, Ryan Anders. Uh, Jamal, he says, in y'all's opinion, what is the minimum return needed to justify Alonzo uh, trade? Is it future assets, a vet, potential all-star? I'll start. I think the only way he gets dealt is if Griffin is absolutely infatuated with somebody in the earlier portion of the lottery and thinks he can move up to get that said person, whether it's Tyrese Halliburton, Killian Hayes, I think would be good fits. Um, in terms of, you know, bigs, obviously the Pelicans could use a Kongwu or James Wiseman, but I just don't think the value of a big, regardless of how good they are, is the same for a, for a wing or a backcourt player. You can find big guys on the in the free agency or via trade. It's so hard to get a, a difference maker in the backcourt or wing. So I, I think you would have to move up to get a difference maker in that regard. For you, Jamile, if the Pelicans do deal Lonzo Ball, what do you want back? We we talked about this briefly, but like you you talked about bigs. Let's let's talk specifically. Like, what's a name that comes to mind that would justify for you moving Lonzo? Um, so, I mean, just looking at what the Pels need, um, the only guys who, who I think are kind of realistic that I would, that I would consider would be maybe somebody like a, like a, a Miles Turner, which I don't, I think his value is way too high. Um, a Marcus Smart, who I, who I like, uh, I'm always trying to get him on my team, but again, I don't think the Celtics are looking to move him um, or maybe other younger players, um, maybe other younger players like um, who's the guy from um, Phoenix, um, Kelly Oubre, right? So I know Phoenix is always looking for point guards. Oubre is really kind of taken off. So I'm not sure they'd be willing to move him. Those are the types of players I would be looking for. I do agree with you, though, that I think it's much more likely that it would be picks um, if, um, you know, if there's somebody in the draft that the Pell's front office likes. I think it's much more likely that Lonzo gets traded for somebody um, in the draft rather than an actual NBA guy. All right. Uh, I'm going to take this one from Sucker Free Beasy. Uh, he's got uh, four great questions. I'll do the first one. How does the China situation mess with a cap? Um, 
if the NBA does uh, lose its partnership with China, I'm not sure how much. Uh, I'm sure I could Google it quickly. Let's let's say China pays the NBA one billion uh, annually to stream its games. Uh, that one billion would be taken away from all 30 teams' caps, so they they share their annual revenue. So let's say. You know, the NBA makes $10 billion a year. That's split between those those 30 franchises. So you take $1 billion of that away, you know, that's 10% of every team's cap that is now gone. Uh, so that's that's the effect that that would have. Um, I, I'm not sure or pretty if China is, is pulling from their partnership with the NBA. So that's poor research on my part. Uh, his next question is about Nikhail Alexander-Walker. Chris, I don't think we've seen enough from him to, I, I, I don't know, uh, promote him to the starting lineup or, or give him significantly more minutes than we gave him this year uh have you seen anything from Na that that tells you that he might be the long-term answer i mean that's actually a question that i hadn't thought about um i think th- this is more more something that we were trying to sink our teeth in deep, uh, our teeth into last off last year last off season uh through summer league and getting into the preseason um he has skills overall that I think could make him into a wonderful league guard. Um, I think he's a he's a guy who can do a lot of the things that people are worried about Lonzo doing. Problem with Nikhil Alexander Walker is that the game hasn't slowed down for him yet. And I mean, he's a he was a rookie. I mean, that it's a problem for most for most rookies. Um, but when you break down just the profile, you know, he's long. He has decent he, he has decent size being in that six four six five range. He can he can handle the ball. He can create for himself. He can create for others if he's if he's uh, if he's in that mode. Uh, he can finish with either hand. Uh, he's an active defender. I don't think he's a you know he's a great defender yet or you know good, but he can definitely he definitely has the wingspan and the fight. Uh, moves his feet well well enough to be a a pretty good defender at some point, but. I I don't think he'll get the opportunity here um, unless he really gets off to an amazing start and you see a different player by the time the, the next season starts. Um, because for him, he has to read the floor a lot better than he does. And like I said, a lot of that has to do with just the game slowing down. He's trying to anticipate things that aren't there. We see him sometimes trying to force the issue and uh, taking chances on plays that he simply shouldn't. I mean, it's rookie, it's rookie mistakes, but once the game is able to slow down and he's able to be a lot more calm and reserved out there, out there on the floor, running the offense, not settling for threes and just overall taking, take, taking advantage of his, of his, uh, his skill set. I don't think he's the, he's the greatest of, you know, of athletes necessarily, but he's skilled enough to, to be that kind of guy eventually. Um, but it's probably better better reserved for, for a combo guard because I think you'll always be a guy that wants to score a little bit more than than distribute. Um, but I mean that's something that we'll simply have to see. Uh, I don't think it's going to it's going to necessarily happen. I would focus more so on his ability to contribute off of the bench, maybe in a sixth or a seventh man role uh, at best. But the skill set is, is 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 definitely there. It's just up. It's just really going to be up to him to really start to understand the game and feel the game a lot more. Um, and I think Nall could be pretty good eventually. 
All right, I'm going to answer these two quickly. This is from Alan Rubenstein. He says, is a trade centered around CP3 for Lonzo Ball feasible? Uh, unfortunately not, because the Pelicans are pressed right against the cap. So you would need to match, I think, uh, CP3 is probably making somewhere around $45 million and Lonzo's right around $11 million. So you would have to deal both Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday in order to make that pick for Chris Paul feasible. To me, that's too rich. Um, I can see why some people would be interested in that deal, You know, possibly promoting Josh Hart to the starting lineup or, or maybe finding yourself a starting two-guard elsewhere, sliding Brandon Ingram there, as David Griffin said. But, uh, but no, it's not feasible just on its own. There would need to be other parts to it. Uh, or you could also do a three-team trade. British basketball burner says, would you consider trading Lonzo and the 13th pick for the eighth pick and Kevin Knox? No, I would not, but you're on the right track. If the Pelicans were going to trade Lonzo, I think that's what the deal would be. It would be to move up and it would be for an additional player or an additional pick. I think that's probably the likeliest scenario here. I don't think the Pelicans are trading both Lonzo and Drew Holiday. I think that would be a, a bit too dramatic, just overhauling, you know, 60% of your starting group if Derek Favors doesn't come back. This is for Jamiles from Michael Borky. How do you think the players feel about the coaching change? You know, that's a really good question, right? And I'm, I'm hoping one day we get a, a, a legit answer for it because I think that could have had something to do with their implosion in the bubble, right? Whether they were dissatisfied with it, um, you know, with the coaching situation or whether they were dissatisfied that, you know, there was a change that was going to happen that maybe they got wind of before it became public. Um, I don't know that answer. Um, it seemed like a lot of the players were enjoying uh, playing for him. It gives you a lot of um, freedom. And especially for these young guys, specifically the guys who came over from the Lakers, I got the feeling that they, they felt very boxed in playing in L.A. with LeBron. You know, I'm not blaming LeBron for that, but you have to play a certain way where you play with him. So I think they felt very boxed in, and so I think they were probably – it was probably very refreshing to come to a place that didn't box with them pretty much at all uh, with Alvin Gentry. But you also got the feeling that the veteran guys didn't necessarily always have the most faith in, in what they were doing or being asked to do by the coaching staff. So – I think there's probably mixed feelings in the locker room about it. I think some of the younger guys uh, may have not liked it as much, but I think some of the older guys who know what it takes to actually win games in the league uh, may have, they may be more on board with the change. So a guy like JJ Redick, I don't think is going to lose any sleep over Alvin Gentry, you know, being let go. Whereas a guy like Josh Hart, or maybe a Brandon Ingram might feel a little bit different about that, uh, because because Gentry really gave Ingram his first chance to be who he really should be in this league. I love that question, by the way. Do you want to expand on that, Chris? Uh, I mean, yeah, not much. I, I I'd say that um, there are there are a few guys similar similar to what Jamal said that uh, probably. They'll if if they don't feel it right now, they'll probably look back at their career and say, "Man, Alvin Alvin Gentry was really important in my development and me getting things going." Uh, in the Stackhouse article, you know, I put that one of his biggest strengths, if not his biggest strength, is giving guys the you know the opportunity to really find themselves and find their confidence uh, without a short leash. 
uh, playing through it literally on, on the floor. You know, he's not going to yank you unless you're unless you're a young guy. You do something incredibly stupid, but 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 you can see by the amount of turnovers that they have, the lease is going to be long. And for some guys, that helps them. I mean, I help into into winning basketball, but it helps them into finding themselves individually. Um, but I think no matter who you are, eventually when you want to start winning basketball games, you want somebody, you want to be coached. You want to be coached uh, with expectation, with some sort of um, some some sort of resistance, because that's the only way you get better. And I think a guy like Brandon Ingram, for example, he's going to take. Uh, you know, I mean, he's you know he went there and told coaches in New Orleans, you know, yo. Do, do whatever you have to do. Dog me out. Curse me. Do do what say whatever you have to do to get me going. He responds best to that type of uh, that type of energy. Uh, it's just a guy that wants to be the absolute best that he can be. So um, I think at some point the the players as things started to get started to get tight, maybe had a thirst for more um, and they'll be opening. I, it depends on the next coach that they bring in. Uh, I think you'll get a better idea for how they felt. All right, you guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you don't mind, we'll we'll get away from the Pelicans for a moment. Uh, I'm just reading on the Hollywood Reporter Ryan Coogler's uh, words to Chadwick Boseman. Uh, it's it's really touching. I encourage you all to read it. Uh, in terms of the protesting, Jamile, uh, it lasted 24 hours, but obviously it took its toll, and uh, it. It's it's already led to significant changes that are taking place now, both uh, in voting and uh, in political houses, uh, mostly in the northern regions of our country. But everywhere else, the, the conversation started up again. Uh, what was your reaction, not only to the Milwaukee Bucks uh, actions, but that it lasted 24 hours and such significant progress has already been made in that time? Um, so at first, I wasn't necessarily fairly on board with with it until I realized the rest of the players were behind them who were just the Bucks. Now maybe the Bucks just started it and everybody else fell in line. But um once the players because that's always the issue when you do something like this. Um, you know, we saw that with Colin Kaepernick, right? If you're just on your own doing it, you're not gonna get very far. But if uh, if everybody's on board, then then you can get some progress like you're like you're speaking of and and look it's a tough question because in reality you know there's not that much the nba can really do but they can do something right because in this country money is power that's just what it is um and a lot of these people uh who own these teams are some of the richest people in the communities uh in which these nba teams uh you know are in and these teams are in, you know, most of the top 30 cities in, in, in the country. So, yeah, they do have more that they can do. Um, they also have corporate sponsors who can put pressure on politicians. So there, there is something they can do. Um, there is maybe a limit to it. Um, it's not like they can solve the problem single-handedly. Or, but, you know, they, they, they are trying to do something. And I think I like some of the steps that they've taken as far as using some of their resources uh, to help people vote and, and other things that they're doing. Um, it's going to be a much bigger conversation, and I don't think you could have it have that conversation on 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 even more that the NBA could do in such a tight window within the playoffs. But I think it should be a conversation that could be um, 
that could be expanded over, you know, whatever offseason the NBA has this year, um, where we start talking about, hey, you guys need to use your, you know, we are making you all this money as a performers in your entertainment business, which is fine. That's what we signed up for. But um, at the same time, you've got to use your political and economic clout to try to advance these issues that you at least, you know, verbally or in written statements say that you support. Uh, so I think the players getting that conversation going and flexing, you know, the, the muscle that they do have to get whatever progress they can get uh, is, is definitely a positive, um, a positive for the league and for the players as a whole. And I think what I really hope comes out of it because we have a lot more issues than even police brutality in the country. That's um, obviously a huge issue that's been an issue for decades upon decades. But there's a lot of other issues that I'm hoping that people can see that if you band together, right, in whatever avenue it is, right, whether it's banding together with your fellow employees, um, with, you know, just people in your community um, to get things done, then you can actually do it. We're so fractured as uh, as a society now, it almost feels like we can't come together to get things that, that are in our common interest. Um, so I'm hoping that people at least take that example and, and, and see that, you know, you can stop the NBA playoffs. And, and you know, if if you're willing to actually stand up and, and, and have that awkward conversation, because Quite frankly, the players don't know necessarily where it's going, but they know that they weren't feeling right about what was going on and they wanted to do whatever it is that they could to help. Um, and so I applaud them for that. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad the NBA, um, you know, they, they continue to, to not be combative about it as we've seen leagues, looking at you, NFL, be in, in the past. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if something like this ever happens in the NFL um, where the power dynamic is much different uh, with the players in the league. So uh, kudos to the NBA guys, um, but obviously a lot more to do. Now, uh, Chris, I, I'm not sure uh, quite how to how to ask this question, but just in terms of everything that our country is, is going through, uh, just in terms of the peaceful protests, uh, the, the political uh, debates that are ongoing right now, I, I think the country is possibly more divided than – at least it's been in, in my lifetime, maybe that's a naive notion, or maybe I'm just a prisoner of the moment. But of course, you marry that situation with this virus that has kept many of us at home for for now six months. Uh, my wife and I have been at home for six months. I, I think maybe other than the grocery store, we've left the house, I don't know, five times. At some point, we're going to go back to normal. At some point, we're going to see each other all again. We're going to go to offices again. We're going to go back to the movies Chris, what do you think that world is going to look like? Do you think we're just going to go back to life as normal and, and there's going to be little to no change from where life was in February? Hmm. That's a, that's a very uh, complicated question. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know, man, because I don't – I mean, I, I live in Chicago right now, man. I don't know if I see that, man. Like, I, I, still, I still see people out, out and about every day. Um, I still see – uh, I mean, the movies are going to actually be be opening up very soon uh, by me, and I know I, I think in a lot of other places. I don't know. I think the uh, the AMC's uh, nationwide are opening up. I think next month. Um, so I, you know, I really, I really don't know. I mean, to me, I don't think that 
our country is any more divided than it than it's been in uh, in years. I just think people are, are more comfortable being being vocal about it due to the president that we have right now. Uh, you know, people aren't hiding their their true feelings, whether it whether they be racist, good, bad, whatever the case is. Uh, and then on the on the flip side, it's the same thing. People that um, have felt for a long time have felt have stood stood up against racism. They feel more comfortable speaking out and not just you know turning a blind eye to things. Uh, so I don't know, man. I mean, I I always feel that sometimes you know you need it. You need an explosion before things are really um, before b- before you can really see true change. Um, my hope is that uh, this entire experience from COVID down to uh, the election that's coming up, down to so many different things, the protests, uh, the killings, I, my hope for the society is that um, it kind of teaches us to cherish, to, to cherish some of the smaller things that we have. I mean, all the people that are, you know, that are, that are leaving this earth and all the wonderful, uh, not, just, not just celebrities, but in family members and things that have been lost due to this pandemic. Um, I'm hoping that, that, that there's a better society for it. I'm hoping that we can learn how to, uh, how to love each other and respect one another and respect every single life outside of the ones that are, that are privileged or outside of the ones that we live. Um, I can't really call it cause I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, the world, I mean, things are changing every day. And part of me feels like there won't be a, you know, a, a there's going to be a new normal. Um, so I mean, what that will be, you know, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Overall, but um, yeah, man, I, I I don't see. I think we still have a long way to go, man. And we see that every day by by the things that we see on Twitter and uh, some of the things that are in our that are in our backyard. I mean, Chicago is has since um, since the George Floyd killings. I mean, I've heard or seen a protest myself happen or around me at least once a week. You know, so uh, my only hope is that things things can change for the better one way, one way or another. Uh, I'm not necessarily 100 uh, percent confident by the lessons that I've learned in this country overall, especially if there is uh, a reelection of a certain president. But I when it's when it when, when it's all said and done, all we can hope is that there were lessons that were learned during this time and when things go to a new normal as I think there will be or, or, or we have to start fresh. We can only hope that, that that the lessons that were learned are applied and we can start to be a better a better country overall. Thank you guys. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, Preston, if you mind, um I'd just like to add one thing. I mean, as far as society, I think you know things could potentially get worse before they get better. Um but they will get better at some point. Um but Spinning it back to the NBA, I think one lesson the NBA and other sports leagues should take out of this is look at the role that Michael Jordan played in mediating between the players and the owners, right? And that is why you want to have more minority ownership. It's not about every owner being Black or, or, or any other race or anything like that. But when you have a seat at the table, um, and somebody who understands both worlds, uh, that can oftentimes make your organization and in this case your league better and help and help resolve issues 
that, you know, there's always an impasse between players and owners. Um, and the owners, most of them don't understand what it's like to be a player or, 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 or go through the things that the players go through. I'm not saying that they don't, you know, like the players or empathize with the players. I'm, I'm sure that they do uh, for the most part, but they don't really necessarily know what it's like to be in their shoes. Um, and the same is true for the owners, right? The players have all these, you know, things that they want to get done, but the owners are thinking about business and actually making money off basketball and having somebody like Michael Jordan, who came from the same sort of background that most of the players came from, um, played in the league forever. Players have a ton of respect. Any player, when he calls, they're going to answer the phone no matter what's going on. Um, but then also understanding ownership and the perspective that they have of we're trying to, you know, get this get this season over with and we spent so much to, uh, to, to restart down in Orlando. Uh, so I'm sure ownership may have not said anything publicly, but I'm sure they were very upset about, uh, at least some of them, very upset about uh, the players boycotting. They, again, they probably didn't say that publicly, but having somebody like Jordan to mediate between the two, that's why diversity in sports is important. Absolutely. Great job, you guys. Really appreciate your time. Uh, you can follow Jamile at jamdun 6 uh, Christopher Connor at ImpatientBull. Uh, Chris, do you want to sign off? Anything you want our listeners to know? Oh, wow. My, my mistake here. I had my <laughs> mic muted. <laughs> no, no, um, no I, I'd say, I mean, if you haven't read my article on Jerry Stackhouse, uh, I'm learning that I don't know why I assumed that that our audience was a little bit more more up to date with him, uh, but I mean we did a we did a deep dive into it. Um, I mean, and, and not just Jerry Stackhouse, all of the coaching profiles that we put together. Um, I think so often we get caught up in big names and and names that are that are resurfaced over and over again every time a, a coaching vacancy is is available. Uh, I'm hoping that these these deep di- deep dives into the details outside of just the cliff notes versions of these coaches are uh, are able to be read and really understood. So, number one, when this coach does end up getting picked, if it's not a huge name, I'm hoping that that they're treated with some level of respect and um, you know love out the gate versus um, it's not the guy that I wanted, so I'm not gonna support it. And a lot of these articles that we were able to put together, it really goes into details for each individual, how not only they've succeeded with different type of organizations and players, but how that translates to the current roster and the current vision and going forward. So um, we've, we've done a lot of names going, I mean, so far, and I know we're going to do a few more going forward, but read my article on Stackhouse, read, read Preston's articles, uh, I believe, uh, Ali put up one as well. Um, and the ones that we continue to put out because, you know, the more, the more understanding that we have on the type of guy that that's being brought in in relation to where this team needs to go going forward, uh, you know, will hopefully bring even more support, more eyes and, uh, you know, really kind of get rid of some of the bad stigmas and stigmas and overall, um, I guess, crutches that being a, a New Orleans Pelicans fan can bring. So, um yeah man i mean read what we have out there and i hope everyone enjoys it yeah uh, just to give a shout out to our site uh uh 
of course, uh, David Grubb wrote about David Fisdale that made best of SB Nation NBA. Uh, Christopher Connor's article on Jerry Stackhouse made best of SB Nation. Uh, my Lonzo Bar- uh, Ball article also. And then we've got uh, Ollie coming out with Kenny Atkinson soon. Uh, I've got Matt- Mike D'Antoni coming tomorrow. Uh, so d- don't be critical. You know, just just read the articles, take from it what you want, and then, of course, support your guy. Uh, Jamile, uh, anything you'd like to tell our listeners? Uh, yeah, so actually today I'm working on one for uh, David Vanterpool, who's the associate head coach out in Minnesota, but has had a lot of other stops in his coaching career. And uh, there's a lot of players, including superstar players, who really rave about him and kind of go out of their way unprompted to praise him and credit him with uh, some of their development as players. So um, he's, he's, he's a guy that probably most fans, haven't heard of um, or haven't heard much about even, you know, I didn't know that much about him going in. I knew who he was, but not necessarily all the details. So it's been interesting learning about him. Uh, and I'm not sure if this is the direction the Pels will go with their um, coaching search, but he's definitely a guy on the radar on NBA, you know, front offices, radars of a guy who could get a, a job uh, coming up soon. So um, everybody keep an eye out for that one. Great stuff. And you guys know if you want to help us out, uh, what to do, uh, make sure to retweet this, go on, uh, Apple podcasts, uh, go on Spotify, make sure you give us a rating and subscribe, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. We appreciate you again, follow impatient bull and jam done. Oh, six apologize. Uh, we were supposed to have Ali Cosell on this podcast, but technical difficulties, uh, prevented us from doing so, but thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with some more, probably drew holiday trade chatter at some point, as well as coaching candidate hires. Uh, but for now, Thanks for listening. Let's dance. Let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Black Lives Matter, and we're continuing to do our part here at the Bird Calls. That's why we've created the Armchair All-American Scholarship. Thanks to contributions from Armchair, myself, Music is My Refuge, R. Anders 36, Andrew Juge, Ralph Malbro, and many more, Armchair Media will be issuing four $500 scholarships per semester to aspiring black creatives. The criteria is African-American, under 21, and in a creative field. To apply, send something you've created, whether photography, art, music, anything, to scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. We can't wait to see your application.